0: Sport can create hope where once there was only despair. It is more powerful than governments in breaking down racial barriers. Sport has the power to change the world. Welcome to Just Play, presented by The Show, a podcast dedicated to discovering tangible ways Sports can change the world in a positive direction. I'm Jency Rhodes. And I'm Kelly Koski. Join us as we interview
1: professionals and creatives to learn about their unique communities and experiences in the world of sports.
0: Our guest today on Just Play is Dr. Ford Dyke. Dr. Dyke holds a PhD in kinesiology, specializing in performance and exercise psychophysiology. He is currently an assistant clinical professor at Auburn University, teaching courses such as the pillars of health, motor learning and performance, and performance-based psychology. He's also a subject matter expert and director of mindfulness-based performance and health optimization, facilitating seminars and workshops to people and organizations in the athletic, academic, business, and military realms. On top of these impressive professional accomplishments, Dr. Dyke is a Team USA athlete for USA Indoor and Beach Handball. But before this journey to Team USA, he was an extreme sport athlete. Surfer, skateboarder, BMX rider, skimboarder, you name it, he did it. In this conversation, we dive into this transition from extreme sports to team sports, and how play has influenced his journey as an athlete and professor. Welcome to Just Play, presented by the show.
1: Are you trying to figure out how to stream games to your audience during COVID? The show is the world's first social platform designed specifically for sports clubs. The show's free mobile apps help sports clubs live stream games and engage their audiences with amazing highlights and recaps optimized for social media.
0: Learn more and watch the latest highlights at theshow.biz. That's the S-H-O dot B-I-Z. The show helps clubs take their games online. Welcome to the crew.
2: I'm stoked to be on the show. Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me.
0: Welcome to Just Play. Um, And like I said, we are exploring the benefits of play and how it can positively change society. How would you define play?
2: Well, I've been thinking about this for the past few days because I heard I was going to be on the show and I started thinking about play and I thought the word itself carries a bunch of different connotations and there's definitions associated with it. You can go play music. You can ask someone, hey, play the music. Someone can attend a play. They're going on a date and they're going to go see a play and you can play a sport. Or on the other side, it's no more (laughs) horseplay. What does that even mean? And that probably resonates more with my background. (laughs) We can kind of get into that downstream. But I think when you start to really unpack play, there becomes this separation of play music, or are you a musician? You can attend a play, or are you a dancer, a performer, et cetera. You can play sports, or are you an athlete? Are you training and competing as an athlete? And I think really the separation occurs when rules are started to put into play. And when the rules start to be put into play, the creativity gets sucked out of the system. Because if you look at human development, human physiology, anatomy, what separates us from other mammalian counterparts, is our creativity. From, frontal lobe, so. Yeah, From my understanding, there's no other species on planet, or at least we have yet to discover, that has, has the capability that we do when it comes to creativity. Our frontal lobe is massive. If you place your hand over your forehead and you look at your hand, in general, that's the structure of the neuronal space that it occupies. That's a large real estate. There's a lot of space there to operate. And of course, our frontal lobe is utilized for a multitude of things. It can plan. It can make judgments. It's implicated in the memory system. But creativity is really centered in the frontal lobe. And when it comes to playing, I think, in essence, you're being creative. As a kid growing up, I would just go, like my parents, go play. That was like the best word I could hear was go play two words I guess you could say and that meant that there are no rules there's no real authority or bystanders or structure or lines or whatever you want to call it it was just a matter of expression
0: you're speaking Kelly's language right now
1: yeah yeah your for your frontal lobe is so large I could just see all the creativity coming out of it (laughs)
0: No, I think you bring up a really good point uh, we, and we've talked about this before really within our team at the show and that relationship between play and creativity and like you said maybe with traditional sports or traditional games some of that creativity gets left behind because of the rules or the regulations or the the lines that are, are put on the court and If you could speak to your own experience, you are currently a team sport athlete in in a, maybe not really a traditional sport in beach handball, but um, a more traditional sport than some of the extreme sport backgrounds that you've had in the past, being a surfer, skateboarder, BMX rider. Um, Can you speak to that transition and why? Why you transitioned from team sports to, extreme sports back to team sports
2: yeah i wish we could go back to extreme sports
1: (laughs) it's not trending right uh, now you're gonna have to wait for that trend to come back around
2: well it's not trending physically let's just say that (laughs) because it's not a sustainable endeavor and i think every extreme sport athlete knows what i'm talking about when it comes to suffering an injury or two it's definitely uh impactful but to answer your guys' question it started with basketball actually I was a basketball player traditionally speaking um, growing up all my brothers played it my family played it that was just kind of the thing that you did and then I don't really know like what the inception of extreme sport was but I did have a memory or do have a memory I thought of this morning my brother Eli he had a bicycle and he's two and a half years older than me and he was riding it with training wheels on so let's say he was like six at the time I'm like four and a half whatever. And I remember watching him ride this bike and struggling with training wheels. I'm like, dude, give me the bike. So I rolled out there. I just walked out, whatever. I took the bike and I kind of like bent the training wheels up a little bit. And I hopped on. And I just started cruising on this bike. So I never really like learned how to ride a bike. I just got on a bike and I just started riding a bike. It was just, I don't know. It was just natural to me, which is funny because now as a professor, I teach motor learning and performance skill acquisition. And I'm going oh, shit, there's a lot going on upstairs in regards to (laughs) (laughs) the nervous system. But anyway, we can talk about that as well. But as far as these transitions and how and why they occurred, I don't know. I don't know how or why they occurred. But I do know one thing. I never got along with authority. I never liked people telling me what to do. And I kind (laughs) of still operate that way. But with that, you know, I found quickly as a child that I could participate in skateboarding or aggressive inline or BMX or really any water sports, surf, wake,
0: um, paddle,
2: skimboard, body surf, bodyboard, whatever it was, I could participate in that and nobody was telling me what to do. Nobody was telling me how to perform the maneuver, the trick, no one was telling me you gotta go higher, you gotta go lower, you gotta run, whatever it was, no one was telling me anything. So it was full self-exploration. That's really what it was for me. It was kind of a two middle fingers up to the system, stop telling me what to do. I can perform at a level that I'm capable of performing at and I can push myself outside of my comfort zone because as soon as you break a bone or catch stitches in your face or rip off the side of your foot going down a hill, all those things have happened. And you receive scars and you look at those scars, that's a learning process. Someone's telling you, hey, you missed the shot. Yeah, I know I missed the shot. Clearly, I missed the shot. But how do you learn from that, right? But if you suffer an injury and you're laying in bed going, oh, this is not fun. This hurts really bad. And you notice the effects on your mind. Then you start to realize, is this sustainable? Or should I kind of rewind and go in a different direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I have two questions to follow up. The one question... I guess the first question, so you talked about this creativity and self exploration through this extreme sports and you mentioned that you got very heavy into or committed to it later in high school and into college. And that is a very impactful time in the development of being a human and being a functioning person in society. How do you think reflecting back on that 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 space of extreme sports, surfing, skateboarding, whatever it might be, has affected you now in your career and in your, your path in life.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Extreme sports opens your mind to any and all possibilities because there's no rules, because the creativity window is so wide open. All three of us could be BMX riders. All three of us could be surfers. All three of us could be professional skateboarders. We're all going to ride differently. We're all going to have different setups. We're all going to have different preferences as far as locations are concerned, whether it is a wave site or a skate park or even a downhill race. So right there, those are just three different aspects of we're in the same sport, but we have such different preferences. So then you take those three athletes and you put them in a competition And you say, go compete against each other. And the best of the best comes to the top. But what's interesting about extreme sports is it's subjectively evaluated by judges. So take, for example, the sport of surfing. You're out there in the water against your competitor, and there's judges in a booth high up, and they're subjectively assessing your performance. No other sports are like that, traditionally speaking you're not subjectively assessed on whether you make a free throw or not. You either make the free throw or you miss the free throw. You either earn the point or your stats go down. To me, that's not much creativity. To me, that's That's pure repetition sitting there, taking those free throws over and over and over again to where you become so automatic that you don't have to think about it. Boom, step up, boom. When you step up and you miss, that's the moment where you realize shit, how did that happen? Versus an extreme sport, every wave is different. Every ramp is different. Every downhill is different. So even as automatic as you can be from a training perspective, you're never really going to know what you encounter. I take that analogy and I apply it into life. You never know where you're going and you don't know where you're going. If you don't know where you are in the moment. So using the analogy of everything is going to be different in extreme sports and applying it to the real world everything is changing, right? Every single day, everything is changing. So if you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, then I believe that you're going to be able to excel from a sustainable perspective.
1: Beautiful. Do you think that's why, do you think the constant change in extreme sports is an aspect of play itself? Like that is the playfulness, is the constant change in extreme sports?
2: A hundred percent, Kelly. Yeah, I think it's always changing and it's up to the athletes and the riders to change it, right? It's not really up to the coaches. Like the coaches can give you cues now that, you know, some of these sports that we're talking about are in the Olympics. Coaching staffs can give you cues on things, but really it's up to the athletes to develop and grow and push the limits of those sports. And I think that's where the go and just play comes into play. It's go get on your bike and cruise around for two hours or go hop on a skateboard, or go paddle out in the ocean.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about the element of play versus competitiveness, and like how those relate to each other, but also how are so how different. Are different. And I guess my next question for you would be, how do you think competitiveness or the element of competing is different in traditional spur- sports versus extreme sports? I know you just mentioned the subjectivity of the evaluation of judges versus points on a stat sheet, but what about like that feeling of competitiveness?
2: Yeah, the competitive nature that is inside of my bloodstream and my nervous system and my skeletal system, I am obsessed with competing. With myself against others. I just love that feeling. I love the feeling back to your earlier point, Kelly, of flow state, of being so immersed in the moment that you have no control of a controllable situation, if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) So I always thought about competition in that light to where when my friends and I through college were going to a surf break and we'd watch the swells coming through. I'd always say, you won't, like, you won't get on that. And they're like, ha yeah, right, I will for sure. And we paddle out and no one would drop in on the largest set. But I was the one to do that. I was the one to go the fastest down the hill. I was the one to hit the biggest ramp. I was the one, and again, I have the scars prove I'm not really proud of any of that because it shit hurts <laughs> when, you, when you don't make it. And more often than not, you don't make it. So I always reflected on, like, what? where does this come from like where? where is this drive like where is this fire and the only thing I can come up with is it's related to my sign I'm a Scorpio oh
1: tis, tis the season happy season
2: are you a Scorpio as well
1: no but Scorpio season just started yesterday so. I know that
2: but I was just wondering if you were a Scorpio as well
1: no, but I have uh I have Scorpio in my twelfth house, so I have Saturn and um Saturn and Pluto in Scorpio. So uh, I cool. understand Scorpio in a very deeper way. Yeah,
2: so you know that fire, if you will, that tail, like my mom likes to yes, say, yes, yes. that I try to keep behind me. Now that I'm more mature, I don't know. It's still there. <laughs> still comes out. The fire that I think lights my path, that same fire <laughs> can burn shit down really quickly, and. I think that's where I get that drive to compete and to perform and to push myself.
1: I love that. Yeah, like when I think about extreme sports, it is like this beautiful tie of like the unknown, you're lost in nature and the elements of like water, air, like, you know, you're in them. And it's like, takes you to this other world where you're like induced into flow, into this whole world of play. That's like this other category. Because I feel like when I think of team sports, I'm like, oh, when I think of team sports when I'm in a team, I'm thinking of playing with my my teammates. I'm joking around, I'm poking fun. But when you're in extreme sports, the play is like this other mental level that I'm playing against like nature. I'm playing with nature. I'm playing with like getting into this zone. I'm playing in a different level as opposed to team sports is like, it's more of like a, hey, joking around, kind of fun, like taking it serious, taking it not in a way.
0: There's the element of... Well, I think there is an element of camaraderie in extreme sports as in you're all going together to surf or or skate but in team sports like you that that element of working together to either win that pickup game or or win that championship game whatever, whatever that might be the element of camaraderie is almost more important in team sports mm-hmm. than it is in extreme sports to be successful right. but to maybe enjoy that element of play it's important for both
2: i agree yeah, yeah.
0: to rewind a little bit i <clears throat> want to follow up with my other question i the talk about you played basketball when you were a, kid, a puppy. middle school, <laughs> a puppy. transitioning into extreme sports throughout high school and throughout college. But then you spoke about going to grad school mm-hmm. and mentioning that you are now a Team USA athlete for beach handball. Can you talk about that transition from going from this wide open space of extreme sports and surfing and skating to grad school and now competing on a team again
2: Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a journey that's for sure it's it's you know half a step back before i answer that through college i told you guys earlier i kept myself in shape and i didn't even know why i just knew that i took pride in this in the body in the mind and in hindsight it kind of makes sense now i didn't play college athletics i wasn't involved with you know college sport And then I took a gap year after college and surfed my ass off. Probably saw too much sun, skated a bunch, rode bikes, did everything. Kind of went back to my roots for a little bit. And then I realized, like, man, I really enjoy this feeling, this feeling of freedom and and, uh, expression. And I kind of missed at that moment, because we were graduated, we were away from each other as far as friends and, you know, the squad's concerned. I missed that camaraderie and that competition. Like, I had no one to compete against. So it's kind of, I felt kind of like isolated. In a way Um, and then it was 2012 where I came to grad school and the summer of 2012 I was presented with an opportunity to present a research talk to the United States Olympic and Paralympic committee who were on a site visit to Auburn University and they were interested in establishing a residency program for the sport of team handball I knew nothing about team handball at the time. I thought it was the ball against the wall and the old men with, you know, jocks on and goggles and just sweating on each other. I I did too
1: before I learned about it. I was like, oh, oh, it's not against the wall like in elementary school? Yeah, (laughs) it's
2: badass to say the least. And so I was encouraged to present at this talk and then I was encouraged to try out. I'm like, I have no interest. Like, no, I'm not... (laughs) I, and I, I told the coach at the end of the talk who came up to me, he said, well, I really enjoyed your presentation. I really encourage you to come to the tryout tomorrow. And I said, with all due respect, I, I don't know this sport and, you know, I'm not necessarily interested. And I just kind of stood there and he, and he reached over and he tapped me on my shoulder. He goes, it's okay. I'll teach you. And he just kind of like <sighs> walks, he walks out of the room. And I was standing there and I'm thinking, this guy's not messing around like this dude has a similar mentality that I do. He wants to push stuff to the highest level and open that envelope as far as possible. So ultimately I respected his, his touch, if you will. I went to the first tryout in uh, that July and I made the cut and I started training with Team USA and I've been a part of the program ever since, which is kind of crazy because I have no formal training in the sport. I have no friends or family members that are a part of the sport. I, at the time I didn't know anyone with Team USA. I didn't really understand the Olympic committee. Again, I was an extreme sport athlete. X Games was all I had. But to see how I've evolved and to see who I've met and the stories and the countries and the people, I mean, it's been incredible. Just that opportunity to dive back into the sport arena and athletics as a whole.
0: Sounds like it provided you an opportunity to channel this competitiveness feeling that you had your whole life and have an outlet for it again but also you spoke about open-mindedness that you cultivated during extreme sports so I I think that that experience probably did open your mind to taking this opportunity for exploring a new sport jumping into something that you were like you said comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and between those two elements I think that that Probably set you up pretty well for the next couple years of your life.
2: I think so. Yeah, definitely.
0: Going into your
1: mindfulness research, how do you think mindfulness connects to play and health and well being?
0: We've talked a lot about it in Mm -hmm. developing this just play that there is an element of play in sport, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that gets lost in how sports is structured and constructed right now.
2: I want to unpack. Early specialization, and why I think that's terrible.
0: What do you mean by early specialization?
2: (laughs) Um, In our country now, especially, you see children that are forced, and I use that word purposefully, into sport and single track all the way to professional, Olympic, international, whatever the stage is for them. For example, swimmers start when they're three. Soccer players start when they're two, three, four, five. Hockey starts when they're four, five, six. I mean, it, football now, Pee Wee at that level, it's, it's unreal that these children are forced into these sports and they don't have an opportunity to cross over to something different. I think that's where mindfulness starts to come into play. With extreme sport, you have to be in the present moment. And by definition, that's what mindfulness is. If you take a, you know, two cent definition and say, what is mindfulness? It's present moment awareness straight up. How do you do that? That's the question that I was always interested in. How do I do this? It came natural to me, thankfully. And I think that's a byproduct of the environment that I grew up in being around the beach. You're sitting on the sand, you're looking out on the horizon. and It looks like it goes on forever. So you start asking yourself these questions. How far is that away? How high is the sky? How far does this ground go down? You start to feel things and express yourself in all these different ways and use all these different sensory modalities. Tactically, whether it's from your audition, your vision, your olfaction, whatever those sensory modalities are, it pulls you into the moment like that. Pulls you into the moment automatically. And so that's what I use to keep myself in those present moment situations to be able to do the things that I did from an extreme sports standpoint. So mindfulness starts to come into play for me as a graduate assistant. And I met a colleague of mine who explained to me these different terminologies that started to assign meaning to things that I've always done. And I thought, wow, there's concepts around this. You know, there's terminology and there's science backing it and there's evidence to support it. I didn't know this. I thought this is just something that, you know, I happen to do, but to learn more about the literature and the research driving these questions and these responses, because I don't think research gives you any answers. That's a side comment. Really what it did for me was it afforded me the tools and techniques to then learn it at a deeper level and then ultimately be able to facilitate mindfulness to anyone and everyone. Because I think that's another thing in addition to creativity, what separates us from other mammalian counterparts is that we have the ability to be aware of our own awareness, metacognition.
0: You've cultivated this mindfulness practice throughout your graduate school, which it sounds like it helped you as a athlete in handball and transitioning from an extreme sport (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to a team sport setting right. yes this, right. this practice of mindfulness how do you think mindfulness could help others whether it's in sport or society in areas of life mm-hmm. yeah it sounds simple of course I think it's sure. probably easier said <laughs> than done but <laughs> this simple practice how can it benefit these
2: other areas yeah i think the benefits of mindfulness traverse the board of humanity i mean that's kind of what i've said earlier as far as you don't have to be an athlete to use mindfulness you don't have to be a c-suite exec to use it you don't have to be a movie star you don't have to be a musician you don't have to be someone in the military at the highest level you can be average joe and jane you don't have to be this like crazy high level performer And so how do you do that? Well, you have to focus on your health and wellness first because that is integrative and it's interdependent and it's directly related to your performance. And so if you can utilize the practice of mindfulness, present moment awareness, as a tool to direct your energetic state, if you can direct those things, then you're gonna be able to perform at a very high level but most importantly, you're going to be able to do it in a sustained fashion.
0: If everyone in society, let's just say in the United States, started to focus on practice of mindfulness and these pillars of health, what do you think our world would look like? How do you think it would change?
2: I think there'd be more compassion. I think there'd be, I think that we would understand that we're all interconnected and we're all circling this planet at the same speed in the same direction. And we all go around that sun at the same rate. If we are purposeful and intentional with our words, with our actions as a society, and I'm going to take it outside of North America because I really do truly believe it's worldwide as a society, as a race, as a human race, can be so much more unified and connected and develop and evolve to the next level.
0: I think that's nice, a nice full circle with we were talking about like the
2: compassion
0: and the connectivity and, and bringing the feeling of unity and bringing the world together, which is what we've been talking about with Unjust Play that sports has the power to do that.
2: The Olympic Games, it's the one chance every four years for the world to come together. And that is driven through sport. And no one's fighting. No one's yelling at each other.
0: Yeah.
2: No yeah. one's worried about how much money the next person makes. Look at opening ceremonies. Look at all the colors and the differences and diversity and inclusion that happens in that one space.
1: And the art and the creativity, especially in the Absolutely. opening ceremonies.
2: It's unbelievable. And that goes back to the outset of how have sports changed the world? This is the first time in the history of the Olympics that it's been postponed. That, I mean, imagine what those athletes are going to feel and those coaching staff and even the officials, everyone. Imagine what they're going to feel from a vibrational standpoint, summer 2021. I mean, it's going to be. When, I get chills just thinking about
0: it. Well, we've all been separated, isolation, and isolated for months on months on months, and sports in, in a normal setting has this power to bring us together. But in an in an exaggerated and elevated setting, like it's going to be unbelievable. It kind of gives me chills just thinking about it.
2: Absolutely, that. absolutely, it's going to go from isolation to unification like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going right. to happen as the minute that Olympic torch is lit in Tokyo, Japan. I mean, it's going to be, you probably are going to feel that around the world. You don't even have to be watching that. You're going to be able to feel that. If, if you're tuned in. And what I mean by tuned in is if you're in the moment,
0: if you're aware, if you're aware, do you think it will set off the, what are those the random right? number generators? Yeah. Maybe. Do you think it will be powerful enough to set off the rate? So do you, Kelly, do you know what the random number generators are? I don't think so, no.
2: So these random number generators are these sensors placed all around the world in specific locations. And what they do is they, they're computer systems and they literally just generate random numbers. That's the sole mm-hmm. purpose of these systems. And they've only aligned in a few different situations in the history of the use of these random number generators. One of them was when Martin Luther King was shot. Another one was when John F. Kennedy was shot. Another one was September 11th. Everyone knows that date. So to Jensi's question, do I think that they will align again in summer 2021 during the Tokyo Olympics opening ceremony? It has the potential to do that. The concept is we all carry a vibration, right? Bob Marley spoke about it a long time ago vibration, that's just energy. Everything's vibrating. Everything is vibrating. And as humans, we are electromagnetic creatures. There are going to be millions and millions, if not billions, with a B, people watching the Olympics.
0: So it's that collective emotion that is all directed towards one thing or one feeling or one event that sets these generators off Mm -hmm. to to align these generators to detect that that emotion the energy in motion for this one sporting
2: event Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's pretty incredible which brings back full circle mindfulness Mm -hmm. like you said the direction so if we're able to direct our thoughts into our behavior we then change our life
1: Absolutely. I feel like that's what the pandemic has opened us up to really see is the air that we're breathing and realizing the air, whether it's the words we're speaking out, like are you speaking and are the air that you're putting out, is it clean? Is it good vibrations? Are you speaking like positive words? Like are I think that's what the pandemic is really open to us because it is a respiratory disease is like how much value do we take into breathing and the air around us and we're sharing the air around us. It is all of our air and focusing on what, what you're putting out as a person.
2: I love it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're all connected. I mean, that's what it comes down to is if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's taught us that we're all connected. And my health is directly related to your health. And your health is directly related to GenC's health and the list goes on. So the mm-hmm. choices that I make and the decisions that I create from a daily standpoint have an effect globally
1: It's common for play to be considered like an activity that children do do you think there's a stigma around adults in our culture and how do we break this stigma for adults to realize that they can play if you think it's a stigma
2: yeah 100 i mean that goes back to my earlier comment about rules like when you enter a room as an adult you've been conditioned to believe that you're supposed to sit your ass down as soon as you see that chair that's it's so conditioned it's automatic No one thinks otherwise. Same thing when you're in an airport. Next time you're in an airport, just watch humans be humans. They get out of their car. They rush through security because it's such a big deal to take your shoes off. Then they rush to the gate and they're so hungry from when they left their house 20, 30, 40, maybe an hour ago that they have to go get their food where they sit down and eat it. Then they rush back to their actual terminal and, excuse me, terminal, then the gate then they sit down at the gate and they wait to get on this plane and they rush onto the plane where they're going to sit for an extended period of time. Then they get off the plane and then they go sit in that transportation. Then they get home or they go to their destination. They're so tired of sitting. What do you think they do? They sit.
1: (laughs) They've been conditioned
2: to believe that we are supposed to just be sitting. And so anything else, like when I'm in an airport, if I'm doing any type of restorative movement or deep breathing exercises, I'm looked at like an alien. Oh my God, he's not sitting down. What is he doing?
1: So you think for adults to break this stigma, it's we should probably focus on our environment around us and either creating new structures like if we were at an airport, is there a creativity things to like lie on and play with as adults? Like do you think we'll have to change our infrastructure around these things or you think there's is there other little habits that adults can, do to break that barrier play? Like whether we see more adults play or.
2: You bring up a good point. I, I think it's just old thinking, you know, it, old thinking that when you enter a lecture hall, you're supposed to sit down. Old thinking that when you're in an airport and you go from tile to your gate, it turns into carpet because that's more appealing and comfortable <laughs> and you sit down. That's old thinking. Like, why are we still doing that? I try to play every day. I try to take a different route. I try to change my gate which is how you walk, essentially. I try to move in different ways through restorative movement. I try to make sure that my body is doing something different physically every single day. Sitting is the new smoking. There's a fun fact for the show. Sitting is the new smoking. That's crazy to me. And the number of hours that Americans sit in front of screens is astronomical. So how do you change this? Well, first... You have to become aware of your environment. You have to set yourself up with a stand up desk or a physio ball, or put a racquetball, lacrosse ball, golf ball underneath, take your shoes off. When's the last time people walked outside with their shoes off? Go ground yourself, right? Go connect to our planet. Oh, that's weird, Dr. D, I don't wanna do that because I'm, you know, I gotta have my... Come on, man, when's the last time that you felt, quote unquote, naked in space? People don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be hard for us to change our environment because the thinking is so old and it's been going on for so long. But you can change your mind. And if you change your mind, then your reality is different. And if you change your own environment, then your life is changed. And now you can make better decisions for yourself that will push your own evolution further along the path. And then you can just play. That was a great question. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Um, let's go, we could do our last segment, which is the spitfire question. So in essence of play, we like to do some spitfire questions. Cool. Um, are you ready? Let's do it. (laughs) What game did you play as a kid?
2: Oh, I don't remember the name of it. Um, it has a wooden board and they're like these marbles that you, Mancala? mancala, mancala.
1: What game or sport did you enjoy, but you're not that good at?
2: I'm horrible (laughs) at swimming. It's so weird. I'm from South Florida, and I'm always in the water, and I can swim underwater like a fish. But I, I legitimately can't like formally swim.
1: What book had the most impact on you?
2: Oh, either Steve Jobs or Phil Knight, who is the creator of Nike. Those I love both those books are very, very, very incredible humans.
1: Um, what's your favorite
2: emoji? Oh, the. It's the one I use the most. It's shades on. I mean, I just I always have sunglasses on, so it's just the most used in my uh in my book. Do you
1: dance when no one's looking? Hell yeah, of
2: course. <laughs> of course.
1: What sound do you
2: love? I'm obsessed with bass. Like between thirty-five and thirty-eight hertz. Mm. Just a nice <laughs> very specific (laughs) yeah just a nice clean bass line
1: that's a good one it's vibrational
2: it changes the way in which I feel so yeah it's that's my frequency
1: what are you most looking forward to in the next 10 years
2: the music that will transpire from these quote-unquote unprecedented times
1: I feel like there is already some beautiful, emotional music coming out, especially from black culture that I'm just like, oh Oh, my God, this is so beautiful. And so you just feel every word really, really deeply.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I'm excited
1: for that too. Um, What trend has died that you wish to see come back?
2: Tamagotchis. (laughs) Nineties.
1: Anyone dead or alive that you wish you could play with?
2: Oh, Kobe Bryant. That's easy. Yeah, could be Right. I mean, you want to talk about a mindful individual? You want to talk about someone that performed at the highest level and supported people that may not have reached their potential and he opened the door and taught them things that they didn't even know about themselves. I mean it's a it's a blow to see him to see him go at such an early age.
1: Beautiful. Um, that's all we have. You passed. Cool.
2: I passed. Thank you, guys. I appreciate having me.
0: Thank you, Ford. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Play, presented by The Show, the world's first social platform designed specifically for sports clubs. The show's free mobile apps help sports clubs live stream games, engage their audiences online with amazing highlights and recaps optimized for social media. Learn more and watch the latest highlights at theshow.biz.
1: And as always, a very special thanks to Nelson Mandela for being a huge inspiration to us at the show. You may have recognized his voice from his famous speech in our intro. See you next time on Just
0: Play.